0: But I think we have to look at the one thing I'm concerned about in animals, what I call biological system overload. This is what I call bad becoming normal.
1: From Vetex International, this is Blunt Dissection. I'm Dave Nichol. My guest today is the genuine global superstar in the world of animal health, Dr. Temple Grandin. The word legend is often overused, but when you're talking about one of the most respected animal behaviorists in the world, and the most famous person with autism, the word feels pretty accurate. Labelled as mentally retarded because she didn't talk until she was three and a half years old, Dr. Grandin rose to become a prominent author, speaker and consultant on autism, animal behavior and livestock handling equipment. She is also a professor of animal science at Colorado State University. But her journey to the top was not easy as she was teased and bullied at high school and the workplace for being the weird nerd girl. It was thanks to her science teacher, Mr. Carlock, who recognized her potential that she became a scientist and went on to design the revolutionary livestock facilities that are now used by half the cattle production units in the United States. Dr. Grannon's unique talent is her ability to think and see like an animal, because she sees in pictures rather than words. The late Oliver Sacks, physician, best-selling author and professor of neurology described her first book, Emergence labelled autistic as unprecedented because there had never before been an inside narrative on autism. Dr. Grandin went on to write in excess of 15 other books, has a TED talk with over 5 million views and is the subject of an Emmy winning movie about her life. Now, just before we jump into the episode, I wanted to drop a quick word from today's show sponsor, which is the Verex Thrive Community. If you are a young vet looking to find your feet in vet med, grow your confidence, avoid burnout and beat your inner imposter, then VetX Thrive is for you. As a community member, you'll have access to race-accredited training modules, monthly meetings with experienced mentors, incredible toolkits and an online community to help you thrive in your career. Membership of the community is available for just $25 a month and if you use the promo code Podcast you'll receive a further 10% discount. Head to vetexthrive.com to redeem this offer. Now back to the show. It was an honor to sit with Dr. Grandin and find out more about the way her incredible brain works. What seems so obvious to her has revolutionized the way we handle livestock. It's arguable that her insight has improved the lives of more animals than just about anyone else on the planet. Though this is a little shorter episode than others, it is packed with insight that I know you will find enjoyable and valuable. So sit back and enjoy this, my conversation with the esteemed Dr. Temple Grandin. Welcome to another episode of Blunt Dissection Podcast in London at London Vet Show 2019 at the tail end of the year here. I'm sat on the lovely Sunborn Yacht floating floating hotel, um, and it is my extreme pleasure to be joined here by Dr. Temple Grandin. Dr. Grandin. Great to be here. Welcome to the show. I'm a longtime fan of your work, and uh, actually, the hardest thing about this interview is finding a, a place to start is, is to nail it down, but I guess the place would be... The first time I came across your work was um, I was watching a, a, a documentary on your work and the bit of it that stands out to me, the whole documentary was fascinating, but the bit that stands out in my brain the most was a, a picture of you and you're kind of silhouetted and you were looking up and there was a flag. It was an American flag fluttering over a feedlot and you were describing how things that you see in a heartbeat that other people don't see, and how the animals were freaked out by this flag fluttering, and they wouldn't go down the race. And something about that—just the simplicity of the way that you took something that was invisible to the rest of us—and were able to create a moment that made meaningful impact for the animals uh, that you were, you know, you were designing the 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 the, the area for—it it struck me as. One, how simple it was Two, how easily you just picked something out And something stuck with me there And I've kind of followed and been a bit of a fanboy of yours since So tell us a little bit That
0: reminds me of a trip I did to Ireland a couple of years ago And the cattle would not uh, go up the chute They would not go into the stunning box And all that was wrong was they were seeing motion through some holes in the door We put tape over the
1: holes It fixed it Is that what was the door? Where was that? And what motion were they seeing? They were it was seeing just people?
0: equipment out on the floor through the. So you block it up so they don't see the moving conveyors and moving equipment. Um, the very first work I ever did was look at what cattle were seeing, and at the time I didn't know I was a visual thinker. I thought everybody was a visual thinker, but I'm a real extreme visual thinker. So it seemed obvious to me to look at what cattle were looking at: shadows, reflections. Uh, cars parked beside the facility, and I observed carefully and saw that these things would make the animals balk and refuse to move. And other people were not noticing it. And I didn't understand why they didn't notice it. Now I know that they're not visual thinkers. And I find that even after over 40 years of working in this field, I still have to give people checklists of the things to look for because people are still not removing chains hanging down or coats on fences, or paper towels hanging down, waving.
1: Okay, there are so many questions I can just spring off to from that. So let's start with the visual thinker. How does life appear to you? Can you give me a sense of, of how you, when you go into a room, how do you experience that room? Are you able to describe that? And uh, maybe that's too obscure Well, it depends upon the room. Question.
0: I, I don't remember every Holiday Inn i ever stayed at. <laughs> I, I have to pay attention to things yep. that I remember. But when I first started working with cattle, I didn't know that um, other people didn't think in pictures. Yeah, I thought everybody thought in pictures. And I was maybe 15 years into my career working yeah. with cattle before I learned that everybody's not a visual thinker. And scientific studies actually show there are different kinds of thinkers. Some people think like me, a photorealistic visual thinker and object visualizer. There's also the more mathematical mind who thinks in patterns. Yep. And some of them are, have visual thinking, some don't. And then there's word thinkers who think completely in words. The first step is uh, realizing that there are different kinds of minds and they're good at doing different sorts of things. Now you take the iPhone, for example, Steve Jobs was an artist. That's why the phone's easy to you. But the mathematical engineers had to make the inside of that phone work. You see, that's an example of needing to have both kinds of minds, and they have complementary skills.
1: Okay, so you're seeing things in inside your mind. This is not
0: well. When I think, see, a better way to, to see how I think is to pretend that I'm Google for images and give me some keyword, not for something I can see in here, like a computer or something right. like that, or a chair. Ask me a keyword for something that's not in here and not something really common, like car or
1: house. Okay, Okay. okay. so let's go um, aircraft.
0: Well, I'm seeing, that, that I'm almost too familiar with that. Okay. Let, let's go on something that I'm not quite so familiar with. Because um, I want you to sh- see how, my, how I surf my database.
1: Okay, all right, so let's go with uh, guitar.
0: Guitar, well, I'm seeing the uh, Hard Rock Cafe. Well, now I am seeing a collapsed construction site. Because um, a hard rock cafe was being built and they did really shoddy construction and it collapsed and it killed three people uh, and it was uh, and the guitar is there
1: right so spinning guitar the spinning guitar in Nashville Nashville, I'm now seeing
0: this movie where there was a giant baby that yanks the neon guitar off the off the roof and tries to play it you know, <laughs> it was a movie where a baby became a giant so, so I'm seeing that
1: so you're seeing uh, and this goes as a thought yeah. train. Does it keep yeah. going? Where well, does the sequence I can, go?
0: It dep- I can make it go different ways. Uh, I'm now seeing you know, some rock concerts. and I'm now seeing the Janis, even though Janis uh, Joplin didn't have a guitar, yeah. I've now gotten to rock concert because yep. it's related. You see, rock concert is related to guitar. You see, you see, it's associative thinking. Okay. Now I could just stay in the guitar stream. Um, there's a store uh, on an intersection in Fort Collins that has guitar lessons yeah. and guitar repairs. Okay. I'm seeing that store right now. And uh, what I tend to do is I tend to pick up real recent memories or real old memories tend to come up first.
1: How do you capture the power of this kind of thinking for you?
0: Well, I didn't. See, when I thought everybody, when I was a kid and when I was in my 20s, when I started my work with cattle, I thought everybody was a visual thinker. and And one of the mistakes I made. I used to call other people stupid for not seeing it. Well, it's not stupidity. It's different kinds of thinking. Because I could visual thinkers like me can never do algebra because it's uh, too abstract. And I'm seeing algebra requirements blocking a lot of visual thinkers out of a lot of stuff because you don't need algebra for a lot. So if you want to be a chemist, yes, I'm not going to become a chemist.
1: So if you were looking in terms of putting teams together, you'd have a visual thinker to envisage what this thing looked like and then perhaps...
0: Well, let's just look at scientific research I've done on animal behavior. I'd think up an experiment, but then i have to go to the statistician to do the statistics. So that's an example of different minds working together. You know, years ago, we did the first research on temperament differences in cattle. And my student, Bridget Wozniak, one of my early students, did a study, and we found that cattle that jumped all around when they were restrained and got all agitated had lower weight gains. And when we did that 25 years ago, I was looked at like I was crazy. But it was just something I saw. It. I said, "Let's just try that."
1: How, if I could take you back um, to, to earlier memories, um, you you grew up in a time where autism wasn't a, it, it wasn't well understood. It certainly wasn't well supported. Um, and yet, here you are, top of your field. How did that, What I imagine there were many obstacles for you to overcome. Well, I can tell you, in
0: the 70s, um, starting out in the feed yards in Arizona, there were no women working in the yards. Right, Being a woman was a much bigger barrier than autism ever was.
1: Okay, tell me more about that.
0: Well, there's a scene in the HBO movie where bull testicles were put on my vehicle. That happened. I was kicked out of Scottsdale feed yard. Now one thing that's really accurate in the HBO movie is it shows how my visual thinking works. Okay, That's accurate. They captured that. And the projects are real. Dipping vat project, um, the optical illusion room, all the projects were real. The gate.
1: Of all the projects you've undertaken, which one are you the most proud of?
0: Well, different projects did different things. I have kind of the engineering side where it was a piece of equipment I designed. Then I have like the prettiest drawing I ever did. And then I've got um, the thing that probably made some of the biggest change was a very simple scoring system I developed for meatpacking plants. We measure five simple things. They're outcome-based variables. Percentage of cattle stunned correctly on the first shot was one of them. Vocalization while you're handling them, because if you do bad things to cattle, with electric products, they're going to be vocalizing. And I was then hired by McDonald's Corporation and Wendy's Corporation to um, teach them how to inspect plants using this scoring system. And in the year of 1999, when I did this, I saw more change than I've seen in my whole entire career because it forced people to manage things. Mm. See, early in my career, I made a mistake that a lot of people make. I thought you could build a self-managing cattle handling system. You can't. Equipment is so not- you don't rep-
1: mean automated, do you? Or do you mean the people would self-manage?
0: Well, not necessarily automated, but People thought they could replace management with engineering. Okay. Well, it's just not possible. I call it, people want the thing more than they want the management. They're going to buy the magic thing. With the same problem in education, put a, you have a computer to every kid. That doesn't make education wonderful. That doesn't replace good teachers. See, that's the management side. And this very simple scoring system that I developed, and it's all written up in in the Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association and Applied Animal Behavior Science, when I taught the McDonald's auditors how to do it, um, it forced them to repair a lot of stuff. Out of 75 pork and beef slaughterhouses, only three had to build something expensive. Everything else we fixed with maintenance, management, non-flooring, lighting, doing simple changes, moving smaller groups of animals, just really, really simple changes. It forced them to manage their plants, and then that six-month period overnight was amazing—the change.
1: What was the impact? You know, the measurable, tangible output of those things. Like, what was the big win for the corporations that hired you and the animals? That, that-
0: Well, when the corporations were forced into uh, hiring, well, the reason it got started is you might want to look up something called the McLibel case, and uh, McDonald spent a lot of money, uh, you know, on the McLibel case, and the. People in that case won some of the stuff, and so now they were forced to look at it. So I was hired to bring Bob Langer and other people who worked for McDonald's out to farms and slaughter plants for the first time and look at stuff. And when things were done right, they were happy, and when things were done wrong, they were really upset about it. It was very interesting to watch animal welfare go from an abstraction that you delegate to the PR department, you delegate to the legal department, go to something real, that the um, procurement department is going to have to do something about,
1: and somebody on the front line is going to have to execute the. Well, plan, that's right? right.
0: You see now the abstraction was real, and they go, "Oh, whoa! There's some stuff that's wrong." And the Bob Langert, the person I worked with, is retired now. He has a book called "The Battle to Do Good" and that tells about you know his, what his involvement in this stuff. Then Wendy's came in six months later with a super good program. Burger King got on it too. And the thing I did is I made sure everybody used the same scoring system. And it was very simple. The plant knew exactly what they had to do. And the other thing, I was not shoving equipment down their throats. Mm -hmm. I did everything I could to make whatever they had there work with repairs and with simple changes like adding a light on a dark chute entrance, put up a shield so they didn't see people walking by. Just simple stuff like that. And repairs, lots of them.
1: Did, was the start of this journey, it sounds even like, you know, whilst it was an abstraction, does that coincide around the time where, you know, animal sentience, as it were, or emotional, you know, the awareness or the uh, the belief almost changing, you know, that well, animals had emotions? Well, when I did had my emotions. first
0: paper on the uh, temperament, on um, I, the journal article reviewers made me remove the word fear. I was not allowed to use the word fear. I had to call it agitated behavior. Is that right? See, and this would have been early to mid-90s. It was agitated behavior. Fear word wasn't allowed. But the thing is interesting is if you go in the neuroscience literature, there's ancient old papers that use the fear word. And the fear circuits have been fully mapped. Right. But now you've got – this is where I think word-based thinking comes in. You've got some people – I think the word-based thinkers are trying to say animal isn't really conscious because it doesn't think in words. Mm. It's just a survival circuit. Well, I don't buy that. Right. Um, but what I'm learning is that thinking in pictures or thinking in math – I can't do the thinking in math, but I, I can relate to it better than the pure word thinker where uh, it, it's hard for me to imagine – uh, thinking totally in words, you'd have a hard time imagining that an animal could think.
1: Absolutely. Where
0: for me, it's easy to imagine that because everyone who has a dog knows that if he doesn't like the vet, <laughs> you make the turns, the dog knows. Oh, or yeah. he's going to the dog park, he's all happy because oh, yeah. he knows. But oh, that yeah. if that isn't some form of thinking, I don't.
1: I don't know what it is. My, my dog knew from three miles away from the veterinary clinic, especially when I was a little boy and I wasn't a vet yet the exact turn it was a little little Y junction in the countryside in Scotland just outside of St Andrews and if we went left that meant beach and he went crazy happy if we went right it meant vet, and he went crazy unhappy
0: yeah you know
1: they knew, absolutely.
0: He knew, and that's why it's so important. I mean, there's a thing called fear-free now where
1: right. let's
0: work on making puppies' first experience a good first experience. Right. Let's give them a non-slip floor to stand on so the puppy's not sliding all around and getting all upset because it's slipping and falling.
1: Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because your, your work, I've worked in the small animal field for all of my career, but your work took me, I, I think, a lot closer to a doctor called Sophia Yin and the work she was doing and now, and that was low-stress animal handling and now Marty Becker has a yep, right. fear-free yeah. thing happening, and which is it's great to see it's filtering out across the profession to all, all species, which is just wonderful. But how did you push your way? We talk about this glass ceiling now that, that women often have in, in climbing through their career make you... yourself
0: really good at what you do another thing i learned to do is you sell your work show off the portfolio yep. when i would do an interview i would just lay a big two foot by three foot drawing on the table and put the pictures out there and a couple of articles i'd written you sell the work
1: and that's when you're you're pitching to a client that's that right. right
0: but i also wrote about it. each project i did i wrote about them and then i thought about it like a journalist what is original about this project? Like the dipping vat system had the entrance design, which was shown really nicely in the movie. And I wrote about that in our state magazine and in our national cattle magazine.
1: Okay, so you're, you're, you're working a lot with the next generation. Talk me through that work.
0: Well, I've, um, you know, I make money in my speaking engagements. I put a lot of graduate students through school. I've put about 20 graduate students in animal behavior through school. Yep. And school can be very expensive these days. And, now my priority right now, the age I'm at, is I want to see uh, help students to be successful and okay. get out and do a lot of good things. That's my top priority, is uh, you know helping the younger generation to get out and do good things and understand animals.
1: I'm thinking from the the veterinary profession particularly. What do you see out there? What can we do better to be better at our job with the animals, particularly again production animals? Well, the
0: thing is, there's just so much stuff to learn. And of course, a veterinarian is the first place that a dog owner is going to go to if they have a behavior problem. And Chelsea Shively, my veterinarian student, did her thesis on looking at curriculums of U.S. and Canadian other vet schools. And in the U.S., it was possible to get through without even having dog and cat basic behavior, which I think is terrible. But on the other hand, I was at the bovine practitioners' meeting just over a year, maybe two years ago now and I was talking to some students there about bull safety and some very basic things on bull safety they didn't know. For example, they didn't know what a broadside threat is, that the bull face sideways and flex up his neck. Uh, that's basics. Mm. That's basic safety. Yep. And they're not learning that.
1: But, but veterinary schools and the curriculum leave out so many of the fundamental things we would see every single day in favor of the more perhaps esoteric or niche areas that, that suit the professors. But we didn't get a day on behavior. Dentistry, we got one day. Nutrition, no day. Well, nutrition's
0: another thing where, of course, they're going mm. that's lacking. You know, with basic management stuff. The other thing that's happened, especially in the U.S. and Canada, is animal science and veterinary is separated. Then I go down to uh, uh, South America. I mm. got one six-year program that covers veterinary, but also covers meat science and the stuff that's in animal science. See, one of the things, the big problem in science is silos. And well, all the research now isn't just veterinary medicine, but lots of fields, is they're trying to get a lot more cross-disciplinary. In the technical side of things, since I consult a lot of autism meetings, I like to figure out, uh, you know, good majors for people to take and what the tech companies really like they like to mix up physics with electrical engineering Mm -hmm. throw a dash of mechanical in there and and uh, and go across some of those uh different technical areas yeah and then that person's just perfect for designing the latest electronic thing
1: right they can see the whole thing not just a pure
0: electrical engineering degree for example
1: yeah
0: and i encourage like well my behavior students i require that they take cognitive neuroscience I think you have to, and they have to go to the psych department to do that. Yep. Uh, you've got to know something about how the brain works. It's just absolutely essential. And that's a required class for my students.
1: What are the things that we don't know that we should know then that you're experiencing that if you could wave a magic wand and be like, every veterinarian needs to know this. What are the things that we're, are lacking Well, I actually
0: did a paper on this as a keynote speech for um, uh, uh, interne- uh, in Applied Animal Behavior Science I, and then ISAE, the International Ethology, well, things like basic flight zone principles, bull safety. That would be some of the basic stuff they would need to know.
1: Tell me, and forgive my ignorance, but tell me more about those things then.
0: Well, for example, uh, uh, flight zone and point of balance. Yep. A common mistake I see people make all the time, they get cattle lined up in a single foul race, is they stand at the head then take a driving edge and they poke the animal on the butt. Right. And you're telling it to go forward and back at the same time. What they need to do is walk back behind the shoulder. And lots of times, if they just quickly walk back past the cattle, they'll go forward. Yep. So there's some very basic principles on that, you know, that they need to be taught.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, if they're work- you know, if we're working with cattle, for example. Yeah. Also, they need to understand that repetitive behavior is abnormal. I've talked to um, veterinarians that didn't know that tongue-rolling... In dairy cattle is abnormal behavior. Is that right? Uh, Is a stereotypy caused by not enough roughage in the feed. Yep. Uh, It's abnormal or you got wool pulling in in shape. Another thing that a lot of people don't understand is species typical behavior. A real simple one is bulls fight by butting heads but horses which uh, rear up and strike. Okay that's a hardwired species difference. You know, it's still fighting, but they do it differently. That's just some super basic stuff.
1: Given the... I was interested in the, um, the the sort of dynamics of world food production now. You've got... On one hand, you've got farming and, and food supply. And you've got this massive, you know, expanding population, world population that needs to be fed, development in third-world countries. Meat is becoming... You know, it used to be more vegetable-fed societies, now want meat and and in the conflicting side you've got um obviously the various animal welfare issues across other countries which are not always as good as they are in more developed nations uh the uh conservation and ecological impacts of farming. How, how do you see the landscape playing out over the next five, 10, 20 years of world food production?
0: Well, the problem you have when you do monoculture of anything, in the short run, it works great. In the long run, you mess up soil health. Yep. And I get asked all the time about ethics since so I design slaughter plants. I can fix the welfare things. The, those are e- actually easier to fix yep. than some of the sustainability issues. Yep. And I've been getting more and more interested in crop science. I need to learn just enough crop science so that I can talk intelligently about it. I've been to some crop science meetings. Yep. And I went to one in North Dakota. And they're starting to plant cover crops for cattle to graze on in rotation with wheat and corn and other standard crops. And if you do that, you can drastically reduce herbicide use. Everything is getting immune to Roundup now. Yep. Everything is. Uh but if you rotate, if corn was a crop you had every fourth year, yep. you wouldn't have to put all the chemicals all over everything, and you'd be improving soil health. So one of the things we need to be doing with cattle is getting them involved with crop rotation. That's something we need to be doing. Um, then you look at issues like in the Amazon. I was just reading an article in the New, we have a magazine called The New Yorker. Yep. It has a very diverse articles in it. And it was written by a guy who actually went to the Amazon, and the biggest thing that was wrecking the rainforest was gold mining. This is something I didn't know. Yeah, cattle ranching, Yeah, they've cut up, there's been some problems with that. But gold mining, financed probably by drug cartels, because mm-hmm. they were bringing in gigantic excavator machines that cost $100,000. Uh, and I've I've been in Brazil, you have huge amounts of Brazil that um, doesn't have, um, you know, it's pasture land, it's not yep. rainforest. Yeah but I've talked to some really good people in Brazil and they say some of this is the criminal element. He doesn't want to get too involved in it. Super good guy in Brazil. because He doesn't want to get killed. Yeah, right. And this is, this is a real problem. It's a real shocker of an article. But the thing I learned in this article is how much gold mining looks like. That's worse than the, than the, anything with cattle would be in terms of tearing up rainforest.
1: Do you see other other options? I'm thinking more clean meats as being the. I mean, clean the meats. The thing or that needs to be looked at.
0: You know, okay, these plant-based meats. They're highly processed products. Yeah. Products. Tons of sodium. Uh, I, I want to look at all the energy inputs on these things. And you have to look at the entire life cycle of things. Back when FAO did livestock's long shadow, bashing, bath, they put in Frank Mittloner, University of California Davis, uh, analyzed that paper and found that they did the whole life cycle of the of the of the uh, cattle, but they did not do the whole life cycle of the car, which would include mining steel and and making it and you know refining and getting the oil out of the ground for the gasoline all of that is part of the life cycle yeah and the thing i'd like to look at on this um okay vegetable based kind of meat products is the energy inputs i have not seen anything on that but you're looking at lots and lots of different ingredients that have to be shipped in part of your life cycle all the shipping trucking railroads whatever you use to get the ingredients to the factory now i see it you see i'm seeing those things
1: yeah are you, um, I'm thinking about the, oh, almost the more, I mean, sticking with the, the animal protein uh, for a second, but the, the development of, you know, basically a laboratory grown steak. Oh, okay. Steak All right,
0: means. now let's say you start growing, uh, you know, uh, beef cells in a yep. bioreactor thing. Yep. Well, I think it'd be probably fairly easy to make a tofu like stuff and you could yep. make hamburger out of it. But again, energy inputs that's the thing you really got to look at Yep,
1: as to whether it's actually a, yeah
0: that a nobody nobody system. has looked at
1: that how does the uh, there's, there's a question maybe it's a more controversial question but just talking about the craziness of inputs energy inputs globalization um, how do animals do animals win when they encounter big corporations you've mentioned. It's not so
0: simple as saying big is bad because actually with McDonald's stuff, the big plants got cleaned up before the little ones were Yeah. because some of the places that were buying some of the niche market stuff, uh, they had to clean their stuff up and uh, the thing is big is is not necessarily bad but I think we have to look at the one thing I'm concerned about in animals is what I call biological system overload and uh, we select cattle for example for milk production always select them for beef production mm. and the dairy cow gets where she hardly will breed yep. the beef cow started to have leg conformation issues the pig industry years ago like over 25 years ago selecting pigs for lean gain big loin eye thin back fat they ended up with bad legs and an aggressive hyper excitable really nasty pig that did a lot of tail biting and fighting yep. now nobody would do that on purpose this is what I call bad becoming normal. Yeah. They slowly get into it. I know there's going to be a session at the vet conference on lameness and why farmers don't see it. There's a bunch of studies have shown that if you ask a farmer what percentage of, your, percentage of your cows are lame, they'll underestimate it by half. Now, if they start measuring it, see, they've got to start measuring the lameness. In order to prevent bad from becoming normal, you have to compare it against something else. Right. And the geneticists challenged me and they said well you're not a geneticist you shouldn't talk about this and I said I've got one qualification you don't have I've seen more different kinds of pigs beside each other in adjacent pens than you have ever seen
1: I was fascinated by another quote of yours which was it was I think you were um, and I said I don't want to I don't want to put words in in your mouth and guess what you're thinking about here but well, it struck me because I see so many people within the veterinary profession have anxiety and they stress over things that may or may not happen in the future. And one of the quotes you had was, uh, your mind can always separate the two. Even when you're very upset, you keep reviewing the facts over and over until I can come to a logical conclusion. Can you tell me what you were getting at with that well,
0: quote? Well, an example of that would be, I've seen other scientists, uh, really hate another scientist. Okay. And then they won't reference his work. I can separate my dislike from a person from his work. Okay. Yes, and I will reference his work even if I don't yep. like him as a scientist. If that work is relevant to what I'm writing, I will reference it. But the other thing that's I think a problem for a lot of you know veterinarians—they got huge loans to, to pay off.
1: <laughs> well, let's talk and about that. that.
0: That's uh, going to be a real stress, and it's going to affect the jobs that they're going to be able to do. Yep. You know, and the bovine veterinarian doesn't make the money that a dog and cat specialist would make.
1: No, and that job's changed almost beyond recognition over the last 20 years.
0: Well, that yeah, and the, the, um, well, education just overall has gotten really, really expensive. You know, when I went to school, when I got my master's degree, it was in the 70s, it was $500 a semester. <laughs> and when I went to the uh, University of Illinois, I think it was around $1,000 a semester. Yeah. And now, you know, things are just astronomical.
1: Yeah, I'm here. Uh, graduates, like, homeschool, it can be like anywhere from 150000 to a quarter of a million dollars for a veterinary degree now.
0: But that's the problem. How are these kids going to pay it back? Yeah. That's enough to make anybody have anxiety.
1: Absolutely. You add in that the. Stress of doing a job in front of social media and the whole world watching. Well, yeah, and then you
0: make a mistake on one dog and then you get ripped apart on social media. Absolutely. And it may have just been an honest mistake. Sometimes mistakes happen.
1: What habits or routines have you developed or or encountered over the years that have served you well?
0: Well, one of the things, even when I was working really hard designing stuff, equipment startups and things like that, was uh, getting enough sleep. I say okay. I start working. If I'm drawing drawings and they want them like tomorrow, yep. I start at seven, take a little short breaks for meals, and I quit at ten. Okay. I've got to have sleep. Yep. I, you know, and, and I've seen some of my students get out on a job, and the, and they're not getting any sleep. It's just ridiculous because even when the worst of the hardest stuff I did when we were doing the, um, you know, developing center track restrainer, we'd have like one really horrible weekend. Yep. Either Labor Day or Memorial Day that we always did at startups. We used those three-day weekends. Yep. And we'd be up all night and stuff during that. But that was like for four days. Yeah. Yep. But just for more regular stuff, like when I just had to crank out the drawings, yeah. I never stayed up all night doing a drawing, no matter how, what the deadline was.
1: What people or events or things have had the greatest impact on your life? Any, any people really well, I've set you I a some really, direction?
0: Well, I had a great speech teacher. My mother, mother had a really good sense of how to stretch me. One thing, I wasn't allowed to become a recluse in my room. And then in the 50s, social skills were taught, you had to say please and thank you, always get the kids out doing things, limit the TV watching, wonderful third grade teacher. Then there was Anne out at the ranch, and Mr. Carlock, my science teacher, and really important mentors.
1: What did they do that made them stand well, out so well for you?
0: the amount of time they spent with me, for one thing. They spent a great deal of time with me. And Mr. Carlock gave me interesting projects to do. Yep. And he also he convinced me to study, because now education became a pathway to a goal. Yep. See, I think the problem with a lot of kids is education is just sort of, you, there's no goal. Yeah. But when education became wanting to be a scientist, and I knuckled down and I studied still couldn't do algebra, I managed to get out of it. And I got out of it because in 67, the required math course you know, nationwide was not algebra. It was uh, probability, matrices, and statistics.
1: Okay, that's not sounding a lot better to me.
0: Yeah, that uh, that saved me. And there was also a really good guy in construction that seeked me out because he'd seen my drawings. And so again, this is showing the work. You know, mm-hmm. when you're different, you sell your work.
1: Where else did you put those drawings? You, you were you know, pitching business. It almost sounds like you were pre-blog era, but producing content that other people could find you. On. Well, yeah, and you I, oh,
0: well, I was writing in, in the or? writing in the trade magazines. Right. Was, we had the Arizona Farm Ranchman. We had we had three cattle trade magazines at the time: beef, feedlot, and calf. I yep. wrote in those. And then, uh, the meat industry had three magazines, and I was writing in, in some of those.
1: You mentioned it, again. We're we're speaking off before the interview, and hard work sounds like it's a core of. The way you've built oh yeah, your you've career. Got to do hard work, and you've had to overcome so much. Uh, well, from the your other early thing
0: life. is, is I recognized doors. That scene in the movie where I get the editor's card—that's a very important scene because I recognized that if I wrote for that magazine, the doors that would open up.
1: Right. So you were. were able or are able to see opportunities when they, yes, they come Yes, but back. you see,
0: I'm seeing a lot of parents are not very good at, not very creative at seeing opportunities. Okay, well, my kid had job interviews and he didn't get him. I said, you, who do you know that owns a business? Just get him in the back door. Half of all decent jobs are gotten in through the back door, through contacts.
1: Yep, and taking chances.
0: Yeah, and and I had to work really hard to make myself good at what I did. That was a lot of hard work. Yep. I made myself really good at something highly specialized. And at the time that I did it, there was no competition.
1: What Which did, was
0: an advantage.
1: <laughs> a big advantage. What um, what, is hard, what did hard work look like to you? Like, How did you mold yourself to being... You, you saw the opportunities that came through. You pushed yourself into those opportunities. But what else did you do that, that, that drove you to be able to do the things? Yeah.
0: One of the things that drove me... I wanted to prove I wasn't stupid. Okay. And I remember um, when I did one of my really nice drawings of the dip fat, and I looked at it and I go, I couldn't believe I'd actually done that. You know, I, you know it, it took a while to you know, really get my drawing good, but I wanted to prove I could do it. That was a, a big thing. And there were people in the cattle industry that were bad. There were also people that were good. The people that were bad was at the foreman level that level, of the, the the big bosses were not where the problem was, and the wor- guys actually working right with the cattle were not the problem. It was the foreman's. That's where almost all the trouble was.
1: What sort of trouble was the Well, bull testicles
0: put on my vehicle, the yep. metal plate that was put in the dip fat entrance, and then we took that out of there. I had another dreadful job where it was a ranch, and the ranch foreman was sort of making a, you know moves towards me. And I didn't want to cooperate with that, so he told the owner that the corral system did not work. Well, it's very difficult to deal with that. Yep. That's another foreman. Another thing was a foreman at a meat packing plant breaking some equipment on purpose.
1: Why do you think they did that? What was the motivation? Were they well? I think it's jealousy.
0: They didn't like this weird gir- girl nerd coming in on their territory. Yep. And, and uh, uh, it and was a things. shocker for me to learn that a company would actually break their equipment and cause downtime just to do something to me. I thought that if you worked for a company, people were a little more logical, and they're not.
1: (laughs) People are definitely mostly not logical. If you would give yourself one piece of advice back then before you set out, what would it be?
0: Well, I would tell college students today, whatever field they major in, internships. Mm -hmm. Try on careers. Because you need to find out what you like, you also need to find out what you hate.
1: So try too. multiple things. Well, he try some
0: different things. Like, okay, let's take large beef plant. Yep. So you take three undergraduates out there, two love it, one hates it. Yep. You see, but it's important for that student to find out what they, they, whether they like it or hate it. Yep. That's important. Yep. And I originally came from a non ag background. My mother uh, got remarried and that brought the ranch into the family. So I went there at 15. So I got exposed to the beef cattle. You know, there's a lot of students that will switch something different simply because they get exposed. Yep. But you want to try on careers. Also, those internships can lead directly into jobs. Right. They're right. like gigantic long job interviews. They try you on, too.
1: <laughs> Don't they, just And so
0: I would strongly recommend that you definitely have got to do uh, mm-hmm. uh, internships for students today. Get out and do a lot of stuff.
1: And not not be afraid of pivoting around if it doesn't feel well, right. kids
0: today are afraid to make mistakes because they're not doing any practical things. You know, when I was a little kid and I wanted to make this bird kite work, I had to tinker and tinker and tinker to get it to work. And I've got a book called Calling All Minds, which is just my childhood projects. But we've got some kids growing up today, they've never used scissors. So let's say they grow up to become a veterinarian. <laughs> they have a hard time sewing up cuts. Right. And this has been documented in human doctors because they 've never used a needle and thread, and they 've never cut anything with scissors no. they 're uh, totally removed from the world of hands on things
1: thank you Thank you for coming over okay, here to visit us in good. the United Kingdom. Right. Um, I want to you know, there 's a number of of books that you 've written that, that people can go check out. Um, but four of them listed here, Animals Make Us Human, Thinking in Pictures, The Autistic Brain, Animals in Translation, there are a ton more. Well, I and also
0: I... have some, they're definitely applicable to the veterinary profession, Improving yep. Animal Welfare Practical Approach, yep. published by CABI here in the UK, Yep. Livestock Handling and Transport, published by CABI, another one, Are We Pushing Animals to their Biological Limits? That's co-edited. Uh, those are three that are definitely relevant i also have uh, cattle handling books i have humane livestock handling that has a lot of drawings in it for meat plants and really big ranches that's probably not applicable here in the uk but the meat plant drawings would be and then uh, temple grandin's guide to working with farm animals and it's a full color book and it's got a lot of smaller kind of facilities that would be suitable I uh, came out with that uh, just relatively recently. Yep. So those are some of my livestock books they definitely want to look at.
1: Fantastic. And if they want to reach out to you and get in touch, is there a best well, way they, to do it through your can, website?
0: They can go on the departmental website, uh, at An- Department of Animal Science, Colorado State University, and then com. Don't try to contact me through that, but there's lots of, lots of materials on there that I've put up there for free because I just want to work on educating people.
1: That's fantastic. Well, uh, Dr. Grandin, thank you so much for your time and well, the work it's great you do. To be here. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, folks, just me before you jump off. Uh, wasn't that just an amazing show? I want to thank Dr. Grandin for giving some of her valuable time at London Vet Show. That was really kind of her. Uh, and please shout her out on the socials as well. Now... I am doing my very best to bring you amazing guests and great content. If you're appreciating it, then help me grow the show. You can do that in one of three ways. Number one, tell your friends about this, who you think would benefit from these insights and this education. Number two, share the shows on social media. And number three, leave a review on iTunes. If you would do one of those things, I'd be most grateful. Until next time, be safe, be well, and be happy.